welcome to Book Chatter, the monthly book club podcast sponsored by Longmont Public Library. I'm Barb, your host for this episode, and with me are Jana and Josie Hello. to discuss our latest pick, Cheap Land, Colorado, Off-Gridders at America's Edge by Ted Conover. And spoiler alert, as usual, today we'll be discussing Cheapland, Colorado in its entirety. So if you haven't finished reading it yet, you might want to come back to this episode when you've done so. Let's begin with a little bit about the author. Ted Conover is the author of several books, including New Jack, Guarding Sing Sing, which won the National Book Critics Circle Award for nonfiction and was a finalist for the Pulitzer Prize. His writing has appeared in the New York Times Magazine, The Atlantic, The New Yorker, Harper's Magazine, and National Geographic. He is a professor at and former director of New York University's Arthur L. Carter Journalism Institute. Cheapland, Colorado, Conover says, recounts a passage into a landscape and community that, in truth, I haven't left yet. It may be the closest I've come in any of my books to going native. I admire where writers have something at stake, where they don't just depend on experts, but rather take time to think and research and participate, thereby transforming themselves into experts, where caring and the urgency of the subject transform the writing into something that matters. And let's move on a little bit to our first impressions. Uh, Jana, would you like to start us out? What do you say? Sure, yeah. I really enjoyed this book. Um, I felt immersed in his journalism. He does immersive journalism where he goes in, and it's kind of like an ethnographic study of the people um, that he's interviewing. He experienced it, I think, from their perspective, where he went out and rented land and found a trailer to be on the land and just have this, what came across as very authentic experience and put himself into their lives as a neighbor. And you get to know these folks from, I thought, um, an authentic, non-judgmental viewpoint. He is a journalist, so he's an outsider in a way, but I thought he did a good job of inserting himself into their lives I give it four and a half stars only because it feels a little um, messy at times because there's so many different threads going on. There's so many different vignettes or portraits of different folks and different families that it can feel like a little confusing at times. Um, However, when I look at it, when I step back, I say, oh, it's just a tapestry where you have all these different threads that are interwoven. And then you have this experience of looking at it from a whole uh, perspective. And that's what gives it the power as this experience as a reader. Mm-hmm. So. Great. Yeah. And Josie, your thoughts? Well, <laughs> <laughs> um, we heard about this a little bit. I had a lot of hopes for this book. Um, I was mm-hmm. the one who suggested we talk about it. Um, I listened to it. And maybe that was part of my issue. Um, he was not a great narrator in my opinion. I, like Jana, had a difficult time kind of keeping track of people. Um, maybe if I had read the book, I, I wouldn't have had that issue. I just – I was hoping for something like Nomadland 
And I didn't get that at all. For me, it was too much about him and his experiences doing this. And I, I have to disagree, Jenna. I don't think he was authentic there. Yeah. I mean, this is a guy who has a lot of money. This is a guy that goes back to New York. You know, he just felt like he was a dabbler in this. Mm-hmm. Um, I appreciate that he he did even what he did. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot mm-hmm. of authors wouldn't do that. Um, well, but- I think this is a, a really big point that we could discuss further because you're <laughs> yes. right that he has a parachute, you know, a plan B option. Mm-hmm. Um, for these folks, it's like a last ditch effort for them. Right. Um, mm. And so he's got this cushion. And so it almost felt like, oh, he's dabbling. Like I was thinking about, did you ever go to Versailles and visit uh, Marie Antoinette's oh, uh, cottage? <laughs> oh, her where little she shepherdess got to cottage. Play yes. peasant, right? Yes. And right. I was like, so it's kind of like, is Ted Conover playing peasant? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there's yeah. these desires. I but mm-hmm. I. My my final feeling, and I listened to him read it too, and I enjoyed his narration, oh, okay. <laughs> um, is because I, I feel like he's coming from a good place, and it can be hard to – what he's doing is hard, and, and would you judge it no matter what, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but he is trying to paint an authentic, I think, portrait of these people to bring more awareness to – this lifestyle and to this part of the country and to the history of this land and what it means for Americans. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I, th- I, I, I was really fascinated by the landscape that he was talking about and it got me interested in that landscape. Um, I would have liked to have understood more or heard more about sort of the push and pull between um, sort of the people who have always been there, um, more the Hispanic folks and then, oh, right, yeah. As opposed to the newbies, the white people mostly, mm-hmm. um, he didn't really delve into the poverty aspect, from what I felt, mm-hmm. um, or the tensions sort of between the African American, the few African American people that were there, right. and sort of the politics of a lot of those people. Um, I don't know. I, I was I was disappointed. So. I'm going to uh, give it three stars. Mm-hmm. I think I fall somewhere in the middle, and I had <laughs> a struggle just trying to decide what to pin on this one, and I think I'll settle with uh, four. <laughs> so, All right. and and for a lot of the reasons that you've already described, that um, I think he is genuinely interested in the people he is uh, painting these portraits of. I think that he inserted himself to the extent that he could, but you're right. He always had the fallback and he always, uh, and he acknowledged, yeah, I like being here for this reason, this reason, this reason, but I am so glad I can go back and rejoin civilization when I go to New York city. Mm -hmm. And, and, and that's, you got the distinct feeling that, you know, the trailer was not his home. It was back in New York city with, you know, his, his spouse and, and civilization and socialization and all Mm -hmm, that. mm -hmm. He had to have that in order to withstand what his neighbors were going through. So yeah, there was that feeling of he's, he's trying to insert himself, but he's still an outsider, Mm -hmm. no matter what he does, even if he, you know, buys the property, lives in the trailer. uh, He still has that Impressed by those people's generosity, though. I mean, they were, oh yeah, yeah, that and, family. Wow, <laughs> and, and yes, exactly. And and you know, to the extent that he could, I believe he 
became part of that community, uh-huh. but he was always, I believe, considered an outsider. And uh, not that that detracted from the stories he told. I think he was very honest mm-hmm. in the, the uh, portrayal of the, the people who were there, the struggles they face, um, the, the, the strikes they had against them before they even got there were, to me, overwhelming. And as I read and read and read more of these stories about the people living in the in the flats as they call it um it got it got kind of overwhelming not not just trying to keep track of the stories but just thinking of the the trauma that these people have been through mm-hmm. even before they got there and some and, of their own making and right. some of the, <laughs> yes let's be honest some of it was of their own making but a lot of the folks had yeah. strikes from the get-go and uh so it was uh, a good read a tough read i think he wrote it beautifully uh, in terms of the writing style, I could always follow where he was going. It was, you know, perfectly understandable. He took time to give it context. Um, but uh, like you both said, it, it got to the point where I just couldn't keep track of things and I had to kind of surrender to this uh, washing over mm-hmm. me of mm-hmm. all of this this sorrow and all of this trauma and all of this struggle. And... Um, like I said, it didn't distract me from the story, but it was a tough read for that reason. And but, so I'll land it for. Yeah. And I just want to defend him a little bit more to say that. Go for it. <laughs> this is a, it's almost like an anthropology kind of study of these mm-hmm. people. But there's this aspect where he's also kind of following his own longings and his own desires to own a piece oh, yeah. of this land. Absolutely. So in, in another way, it's also a memoir of of his, that part of his life. And in coming back to Colorado, he was a Colorado native. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think it's more than just one thing. And that right. he is a little bit more of an insider than I think you're giving him credit for. Mm-hmm. Um, to really look at that and say, what does it mean to want to own a piece of the American West? Mm-hmm. Um, and to be able to see these beautiful sunsets and... Mm-hmm. And that was why I think he bought the land and he, he intends to go back. I mean, yes, he's not going to live there full time, yeah. but he's not abandoning this land and this project entirely. I listened to an interview with him where he said, you know, I feel like I'm a neighbor now to these people. Right. And they're a part of my lives. life. Yes. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. and I, I enjoyed the, the aspect of him kind of going on this adventure of of getting there and you know, meeting the people, hearing their stories, and then kind of becoming a part of their lives. Mm-hmm. Well said. And I listened to an interview as well where he, uh, I, I was shocked and surprised to hear he actually got his wife to come out with him and stay a oh, night really? in the trailer oh. with oh, him. Oh, I didn't hear that. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> She's a brave woman. <laughs> anyway, uh, let's move on to some discussion questions and shout out to Huntley Area Public Library in Huntley, Illinois, for these uh, discussion questions. First one, what was the intent or objective of this book? Did it explain or entertain? And give some examples if you can think of some. Um, I can start this one off. I, I think... As he explains at the, the, I guess it's the introduction of the book, um, this was uh, in part uh, an exploration for him into uh, what exactly happened 
in our country to cause the political polarization we're living in right now. And it was, um, I mean, he admitted, I believe, right at the beginning of the story that just days before the election of 2016, he had very confidently spoken to someone who was interviewing him saying, oh, you know, Trump could never get elected. Well, um, the fact that Trump was elected really threw him off and he wanted to uh, take this project on as a way of maybe finding out where, where, what, what caused this um, uh, outcome and uh, to have a little better understanding of uh, the rift in our country politically. I don't feel like he ever answered that. I don't think he ever did either. And maybe, maybe that's a flaw in the book. Um, but in terms of uh, whether he was trying to entertain or explain or, or um, I think he was going mostly for explanation. He wanted to explain to himself what had happened and why this rift continues. And... Um, and and like you said, uh, Jana, I, I think he went in rather humbled by this whole situation. He obviously called it wrong, and he uh, was humble enough to go to people with whom he disagreed vehemently politically. I mean, as soon as they found out, some of the folks there in the in the valley found out that he was from New York City and he was a journalist. I mean, immediately that threw up walls. Uh, that that uh, he had to kind of breach in order to connect with them because they made assumptions about him based on where he lived and what he did, and um, but he was humble enough to you know kind of take a step back uh, you know and really listen rather than immediately defend his own point of view, and I give him a great deal of credit for that. Jana, did you have some thoughts on this one too? I, I agree with you that it, it was more explaining, um, delving into a lot of different things, a lot of different aspects of, of that area, that land, mm-hmm. our history, yes. um, going way back, and then and delving into the different aspects of um, why folks are coming there. Um, right. Going into the philosophy, I think, um, you know, it kind of reminded me of Thoreau. If you look at the American tradition of um, going to retreat to a piece of land, kind of alone. Mm-hmm. Um, you're on the fringes of society. Why? Because you're asking these questions about what does my life mean to me? Right. How do I want to live my life? Mm-hmm. Um, so it goes really far back into what it means to be an American, what it means to be, uh, and you can look at politics too, but I think looking at the main question that he was asking was, um, what what does our society mean today? And and he wanted to do that by looking at the fringe because mm-hmm. um, he says that one of the workers at La Puente, which is a social service organization in the valley, mm-hmm. um, uh, said, you know, the fringes of society really define who we are. They are the extreme fringe, um, asking questions about how we all should live. So when you take yourself out onto the land, you're, you're withdrawing from society for a reason. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what does that tell us about our society today? And I, and for me, I think just with our, the way that we live today, with how we're so polarized, with how we live so closely and meshed with social media, we're mm-hmm. looking at artificial intelligence coming down the line, 
affecting our lives, <laughs> the attention mm-hmm. economy where we're just constantly, our attention is constantly sought after by all these apps and all these different things. And um, so to me, this fundamental question is like more important now than ever, mm-hmm. of getting back to the land, getting back to what it means to be a human being. Right. What does it mean to be alive in the world? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I think there are, to me, that sounds like you're talking about off-gridders. Um, people who are going there for more environmental purposes. Oh, yeah. I didn't recognize that in a lot of these people. Right. Um, they have television. They have at, you know phones. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, yes, they're probably closer to the cycles and, and rhythms of you know because mm-hmm. they have to be right because of how yeah how they're living how they're living and how mm-hmm. isolated they are. But I don't know that I don't feel like these were back to landers. No, you're right. Yeah, he says you have to have a lot of money to have an Earth ship, which is more exactly. environmental. Exactly. Sure, and the environmental yeah, the environmental questions were huge for me, and that's one thing that I wanted more information. Right, about. they're big trash. I mean, they burn the trash. There's no recycling. Yeah, all that stuff. Yes. Um, um, I, it, it seemed to me like these were people who were not not sociopaths, but just can't live. Um, they're just they. They don't live well with others, I mm-hmm. guess, in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they want to grow their marijuana. They want to smoke what they want to smoke. Um, some of it's religious. Yes. Um, you know, the the Grubers are – I don't think they were the religious folks, but there was, um, a na- I think, Nation of Islam or Black Panther or mm-hmm. that one woman. Yeah. Um, you know, oh, that's yeah. why she brought all her kids out there. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And – Almost looking for a utopia. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It didn't even yeah. have to do with, the, you know – Living off grid, and I got to say, you know, Thoreau. I, I've never read that. There's been a lot of inspiration from that, but you know, he had his wife come and fix him dinners, <laughs> so <laughs> he was not really, you know, off. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't know if you can really be completely alone. And I, I don't know, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, oh yeah. But those are yeah, those are great insights. Uh, next question: uh, Before reading Cheapland, Colorado. What did you know about the subject of the book? Um, Nothing. <laughs> zip, not no. a yes. I, I yes, I knew the San Luis Valley existed. I didn't know the history, and and I appreciated that about his yeah. book, and that he that did go into the history, mm-hmm. clear back to you know indigenous peoples, and then uh, settlers uh, coming north from what was New Spain, you know, at mm-hmm. some point, and then you know when when the land changed hands and became American property, the resentment that the indigenous people felt who had been there forever, who speak their own dialect to this day mm. of Spanish that is unique to that valley mm-hmm. and, and a little bit of New Mexico. That was fascinating to me. And and you know, and then the overlay of more recent history about, you know, this whole idea of taking this valley and chopping it up into five acre plots and selling them so if you go on Google Earth, uh, if you look crazy. at Google Earth and you like sort of zoom in, mm-hmm. it's like this grid. Uh-huh. It's insane. Yeah. yeah All yeah. these, you know, crisscross, crisscross. And, and it's like, oh, my word, you know, no, there's nothing there, but there are these grid, grid, grid streets. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody had a grand design for this, mm. but it was, it was pie in the sky. And the people it was. That trying to invest in it had no idea. How I, hard of a place how it, hard was. it was. Yeah. Being. Yeah. Any other thoughts on that one? <laughs> yeah, no, that, I mean, that just reminds me of the the frontier nature. It, it seems like there are fewer and fewer frontiers anymore. And Correct. that is why he talks about people 
But the people that are drawn there are dissenters and seekers. And I think that's mm. important to remember. And that's kind of what I knew about the Valley. I didn't know much about off-gridding, but I did know there's some different spiritual centers there. Yes. Um, some that are a little more a lot. Uh, non-mainstream yeah. than mm-hmm. others. Um, you know, there's the sand dunes. There's the whole alien. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know what to say about that, but he talks about that a little bit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, extraterrestrial activity, according to some people. Mm-hmm. Um, but... Uh, yeah, it's it's just an interesting um, place. I I I loved it for the sandhill cranes. Mm, um, yes, I first went there to see those. Oh and wow, it's so beautiful in the spring. There's a festival. Um, you know, there's hot springs there and the sand dunes and and all of all. It's of a those. gorgeous place. Yes, yeah, yes. Yeah. But he talks about how a lot of this stuff is kind of hidden from folks that are just like us coming from. Um, the front range, the mm-hmm. suburbs, um, or, or bigger cities. And so this is a world that he's exposing, uh, which I think, you know, this is why I, I feel like it's important for Coloradans and people that live in the West to read it is Absolutely. because we yeah. are known for like our Aspens and Vales and Boulders and all of these places. And land is just becoming more and more expensive. Even in the front range, people are are not able to afford housing. Mm-hmm. We have a huge um, problem with that. People are having to move farther and farther east or go to these places like the San Luis Valley, which are attracting folks from actually all over the country. Right. Um, so to, to look at what's happened to the land, the prices of real estate and all of that and how, you know, how people can make a living because it seems like the middle class is becoming more and more difficult um, to attain. Mm-hmm. Would you say this book addresses an issue? And if so, were all sides covered fairly or was the author biased? Do you want to start us off, Josie, on that one? Sure. I don't think – I didn't recognize a lot of bias in his writing, which um, I appreciate. He was not – he didn't seem judgmental of these people, not as judgmental as I was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I had a lot more judgments um, than he seemed to. Uh-huh. Um, I couldn't believe people <laughs> – Raised children there, drugged their children there. Mm-hmm. Um, but sometimes that did kind of bother me a little. You know, there was the – it was a party at somebody's house mm-hmm. and they were just talking about all these wacko conspiracy theories and oh, yeah. anti-Semitic stuff and, you know, and, and of course he's a journalist so he's just sort mm-hmm. of observing yes. and didn't say anything. But I was just like, oh, you know. I, How hard I think that yeah. would be. Yeah, you know. and, and <laughs> to, Just to remain neutral. Right. Mm-hmm. And I guess I just found a lot of the – and here's, here's my own, you know, my own judgments. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't find a lot of these people likable. I don't know. Yeah. For some reason or the other, I just didn't. Sometimes it's hard to have sympathy when you suspect or, you know, based on his description, we can only go – by that, sure. that they've made some deliberate choices in their life that were not smart. Sure. And, and now they're paying the consequences and he's wanting you to be empathetic. And yeah. I tried. That, you yeah, tried. I tried. Um, <laughs> it was a hard road for me and, and I, I feel mm-hmm. like he was very empathetic through the whole thing and yeah. I appreciated that. Uh, well, I definitely felt the book addressed an issue. I think that's, that was the whole uh, germ for this book was to uh, to see... Well, he was, like we mentioned before, he was looking for answers uh, by going to the uh, edges, like you said, Jana, of of uh, where people are in this polarized culture that we live in. And he felt 
strongly pulled toward the extremes to help understand the whole picture. And I get that. I I think he tried mightily to cover all sides fairly. There were some some definite bad guys in this story, it seems. Uh, some of them, you know, were people who lived there. Uh, some of them rightfully, you know, got themselves landed back in jail for really evil things they've done. I felt that uh, he kind of struggled to uh, develop empathy for the officials, the county officials. Absolutely. Seemed to have overnight gone from, oh, we'll just let this be uh, the situation, for example, where people are living on the land without a septic system or uh, a water well. And that, yes, that is uh, in violation of county regulations. But to go from tolerance to zero tolerance in the blink of an eye and tell someone, oh, yeah, uh, you've got 10 days to get a septic system or you're out of here. Right. Just feels monstrous. And, and he helps you to you know, kind of understand why they're doing that. But at the same time, yeah, the, the, the portrait he's painting of the officials mm-hmm. is not entirely uh, in their favor, let's say. Uh, was the author biased? Yeah, I think he was. I, I I think he had definite biases going in, and and yet, as we've said before, he pretty much kept those to himself wherever he could. He would uh, get into uh, some very interesting conversations with people whose views were entirely different from his. And to his credit, he did listen. He did uh, try to keep the conversation going rather than just throw up a roadblock uh, and and assert his opinion as a New Yorker, as a journalist, as a, as a liberal, whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I do think he was biased. And I also think in another way he kind of became biased uh, by buying some property there mm-hmm. and settling in mm-hmm. as a part-time resident. Um, that changes your perception of, of, of what you're covering Sure. Uh, and so, yeah, I do think there was some bias involved. Yeah, uh, that was going to be my point is just oh, that <laughs> um, he writes near the end, like, I loved the spirit of that song. And he's referring to Cole Porter's Don't Fence Me In, mm-hmm. but I wanted to have my fence. And I think that that was, you know, a big theme in the book was his own um, desire to be a landowner there Mm-mm. and to try to own the land. And he also talks about Robert yeah. Frost's poem about the wall. Oh, yeah. Um, and he says that poets, it seemed clear, did not like fences or walls. Um, and the unfenced land was a part of the valley's great beauty, which is true, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that that's why we love these open places in the West. Um, and And they're so dear to our hearts as Americans, but we also have this drive to just go out and be on the land and own it and subdue it and profit from it. And so there's a big tension there. And I think that that's yes. yeah, where the bias comes in. And, and a lot of us, I think, feel that, that same way, right? I, I mean, it's just like, how do you, it's the duality of you want to see the nature and you want to have it preserved, mm-hmm. um, kind of not in my backyard thing. You don't want more development, but then people right. need places to live and they need livelihoods and all of those right. things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's an interesting, that's, that's a really good point. Um, I never, I didn't think of that until now, but this beautiful freedom of this beautiful yeah. land, yet these are people who personal pro- – this is my property. I will defend oh. it with a gun, yes. right? Yes. Um, and that juxtaposition is very interesting. 
Did the way the book was written affect your enjoyment or ability to understand its subject? And can you give some examples? Well, I think I've, I've already mentioned the fact that I think it was beautifully written. I, I think uh, he's uh, done a magnificent job of uh, giving you a, a, a real portrait of people and their lives and their circumstances, and also uh, very vividly describes the beauty of the place, the, the, the starkness of the place, the challenge that it would be to live uh, off-grid in a place where there's literally uh, you know, no uh, discernible <laughs> utilities or water, water or or uh, you know medical services, uh, and uh, and yet you know people stick with it. Um, so yeah, I think his his ability to uh, describe people's lives and also the place that they're trying to eke out those lives was magnificent. And he also uh, every once in a while would throw in a little bit of humor. Uh, I, I, what comes to mind <laughs> was, uh, yeah, that was a good one. And, and, um, what was it? Uh, his neighbor, his neighbor, Paul, who, you know, when they were first introduced, hi, my name is Paul. And yes, I'm gay. And, you know, those, those little touches that just, uh, flesh out a person's personality were, were lovely. And, and I think it was also Paul who, um, kept an eye on his neighbors with a very strong pair of binoculars. <laughs> and uh, I guess at a, at a later conversation uh, with the author said, oh, yeah, uh, yes, I can see into your yard. And yeah, you really do look good in shorts. <laughs> so yeah, there were just little, very uh, charming touches. I think one of the, the uh, other portions of the book that that kept me entertained we, we you know we've already said yeah this was not really entertainment this was a a book that was digging for answers but every once in a while he would entertain you with a story about something amazing or or um like the uh, the ufo activity that people swear happens in the flats or um his his adventure with the snake that crawled under his shed and how he dealt with it and and how his neighbors just castigated him for not killing it and it it, it just gives you a, a a better sense of the flavor of the place I those think. cows right the, the, it, cows. the cows that yeah endless amusement there uh -huh. with those cows who just decide yeah this is where i'm going uh -huh. <laughs> anybody else I agree. I, I liked his writing. I wanted to read a little section that I thought was really beautiful and mm. kind of encapsulates his connection with the land and why he wanted to go there. He writes, yeah. I felt good. I felt free and alive. I liked the weather, even when it was bad, perhaps especially when it was bad, because it was so dramatic. I felt like taking notes on everything I saw and learned. When a place makes you feel like that, I think you should pay attention. So I feel like he's tapping into this um, tradition that we have of writers going onto the landscape um, and, and connecting with it and writing about it. And sometimes there are writers like he talks about the poet Barry Lopez, who writes about the natural mm -hmm. landscape um, devoid of people. In this case, he's saying, no, I'm writing about the, the landscape. It's beautiful, but I'm also writing about the people on it, um, even when there's that tension of the possible degradation of the landscape. Um, mm. But I'm just really drawn to um, books like this. I was thinking about other writers like Annie Prue, who writes um, her memoir, Bird Cloud, where she's in, I think it's Wyoming, mm -hmm. um, on this section of the river 
uh, where there's a big cliff. And she decides to build her basically retirement home there. And well, I don't think she's even retired. I think she's still writing, mm-hmm. right? But she just talks about like really embedding herself in this specific landscape where she can watch all these birds um, who nest, uh, you know, in these cliffs and and the river and and just the beauty of being an observer on the land as a writer yeah. is a really um, special. It has a special place in my heart. I think the nature writing um, and the, and we have a Colorado author, Pam Houston, who wrote Deep Creek, um, which was her memoir of buying a piece of Colorado property up near Creed, like up in the high country. Um, and she had to kind of scrape the money together as a young person, but she was mm-hmm. she was able to do that, and just how important it was to her to have that that kind of place um, where she could connect with the landscape and write about it. Did your opinion on the subject of this book change due to the information contained in it? Has your interest in the subject matter increased, and how so? Jana, you had some ideas on that one. Mostly I wanted to learn more about the environmental impact of off-gridding and and why how it all like comes out when you look at um you know are city dwellers <laughs> like impacting the land more um or are people that are off-gridding impact like how oh, does it all yeah. how does it all add up because they have to drive long distances they have to burn their trash mm-hmm. um but on the other hand maybe they they don't travel to take big vacations every year. Right. Um, they're not on jet planes. They possibly buy less packaging because I remember there was one section in the book mm-hmm. where he went to a dinner party and he brought some like lemonade and iced tea in a jug and they were plastic jugs. And the yeah. people said, no, we don't want that <laughs> because it was in plastic. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I wondered if there was more awareness, if there was like more simplicity. But it it does seem to me like it's important when you – are going to be writing about the land and people on it that you have a little bit more information, I guess, about the impacts, mm-hmm. especially if you're kind of contrasting that lifestyle with the city or suburban lifestyle. One thing that did really impress me with these people is how they, you know, they used, they tried to use everything. Right. Right. And they tried yeah. to see value in each little piece of something. Oh, I could use that to do this, to do this. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. and there was a big barter system sort mm-hmm. of going on. Right. right. Um, I th- I th- I thought I liked that. I mean, because there was just so 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 much scarcity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That they did. There's more resourcefulness. Exactly. They were very resourceful. Yeah. That's a good word. And that was kind it. of fascinating to me. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. we've it feels like we've lost that right in the kind of excesses of. I think so. Yeah. Modern living. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, we'd buy go out and buy a replacement for something that probably still has some life in it. And mm-hmm. you know, I I think at the at the get go when he was staying on. Uh, property he later purchased, I think, uh, there was some maybe antiquated solar equipment or something, a wind, a wind uh, turbine. And they they did, uh, you know, he called in some friends and they worked on it. They cobbled it back together. They got it going. Uh, it didn't last long. But <laughs> but it, again, it's indicative of that. We're going to use it up. We're going to wear it out we're, or we're just going to make do. And yeah. that kind of spirit it seems to we me. We can learn from that, definitely. We can learn from that, definitely. Which yeah. kind of feeds into this next question. <laughs> can any life lessons be learned from this book? Was your outlook changed in a positive or negative way? And um, I, I uh, in addition to that idea of resourcefulness and really using up the things that you consume, 
um, I also wanted to throw in um, the idea of um, empathy and community. I, I think what he was driving at a lot of the time as he's piling on these stories about the people who live in the valley uh, is, um, first off, to listen without judgment uh, mm-hmm. was one thing that, that he, throughout the whole book he is demonstrating and also advocating for. Uh, that uh, you don't know everything that this person has been through, is struggling with. So uh, come in with a a little bit of empathy uh, and uh, really listen, really listen to people's stories rather than make snap judgments about what got them here. Mm -hmm. Uh, But yeah, the the, the big lesson, the big takeaway for me, and and it was positive, is uh, that idea that... uh, to build a community takes a lot of effort and empathy to be able to get past those barriers we're throwing up. And I think that that ties into a bit of what he was searching for at the get-go in this book, that uh, how do we uh, take this country that's so polarized and somehow knit it back together? And I think that that community building is at the heart of it. And, and it starts with real compassion for the people uh, regardless of their circumstances uh, that are in your community. Yeah, and that's an interesting point, too, because the people out there, they want to have their space. Like, they don't want to be super exactly. close to their neighbors. They're yes. fiercely independent. And yet, yeah, they have that, that uh, I'm going to check up on this person on, you know, when I get enough bars, I'm going to check mm-hmm. up on this person because the wind's just kicked up, and I know that... They go emotionally to pieces when the wind starts blowing, so I'm going to check up on that person. So, yeah, there is empathy there. There is a community. It's just just a little bit different. (laughs) Yeah, and I think, yeah, there's the positive and the negative um, because this place is a beacon for those um, with the hopes of finding or foraging something better, Mm -hmm. um, and they risk everything to do that, um, to scrape their money together to buy a shack or, you know, build a shack or a trailer and, mm-hmm. um, you know, but he also writes that sometimes people were, were going there um, seeking freedom from their bad deeds of the past or mm-hmm. even the freedom to do more bad deeds. Yes. So there's this interesting duality there, I, I think, you know, people with this vision for, you know, a better world or to kind of bootstrap and make a, a life from themselves. Um, mm. And yet sometimes they have a lot of trauma, like you said, Barb, or, yeah. or maybe they're persisting in kind of these negative behaviors or, or trying to like evade the law or things mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. So it's just such a a mixed <laughs> a mixed group out there. And yeah. I, I, that was interesting to me. Mm-hmm. I hadn't seen that kind of, you know, underbelly, I guess, and thought about it. <clears throat> Pardon me. What is your final impression of the book as a whole and of its subject? Do you want to go for that one, Josie? Sure. Um, Hmm. Uh, So, yeah, he wants to go to the fringes to explore the polarization. Um, I don't think he went to the right place Hmm. for that answer. Mm -hmm. Um, He learned a lot, I think. You know, I think he learned a lot about how these people do make a community together because Mm -hmm. they have to to survive. Mm -hmm. So I think he I think he found things that he wasn't expecting, maybe. Um, But I feel like there have been a lot of books written about. Um, the political fringes, right? Yeah. 
uh, since uh, 2016, mm-hmm. that election. And I think if he really wanted to find out that, he could have gone to a lot of different places to do that. I don't think you need to go to the boonies <laughs> to find that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that does make me wonder why uh, he he might have had other reasons. Maybe he was just curious about that place, and then he kind of fell in love with it. Right. Um, so I feel like he he was going for a certain thing, and he got sidetracked and discovered something new, which mm-hmm. is kind of a neat storyline too in itself. Absolutely. Um, yeah. But uh, I but I, I I yeah, it wasn't something I would ever read again. I would just say you know if, I mean I read the Harper's article that was sort of the jumping off point for the book maybe right, yeah. um mm-hmm. and you can read that and get get the impression you got of the, the book gist. yeah 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 it was a great article mm-hmm. the book just expounds on it more don't you feel like though it's it was interesting or helpful to read about people that are pretty different from you and and your lifestyle i mean don't you feel like it kind of expanded your point of view of what's how some coloradans live expanded my point of view um or not? I'm just, I, I I'm don't just know. asking you. I don't know. I mean, you know, there's a lot of people who live in poverty, um, and I've read a lot of books about people in poverty. So yeah, I mean, I think it. I learned about people, but I, I learned that in Nomadland. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That was profoundly moving to me, and I don't know why that was such a better book than this one. I, I can't tell you, in my opinion. Jana, your thoughts? Did you have anything to add to that one? <laughs> I, not, no, not, not really. really. You know, I, yeah, I think I've just already mentioned that I, I enjoyed it because I think as an author, pretty gifted writer plus yes. journalist, and he was kind of following his heart out there. And I think he makes a an honest attempt at capturing life in this place and this specific uh, landscape. Mm-hmm. It might just be too big for him, for Maybe. anybody to sort of to, to fully <laughs> fully explain, explain. right? Explain, yeah. Just, yeah. Very complex. Yeah. I thought it was interesting that quote at the very beginning that I read about how he uh, described this as the closest he's ever come to going native. And if you've looked at some of his other immersive journalism, Mm -hmm. he's really uh, immersed himself in places. I mean, at the risk of his life. Uh And he says, I haven't left it yet. And and that kind of leaves it hanging. And uh, yeah. Yeah. It's neat to hear that he still Mm -hmm. goes back there. Right. And I'm I'm curious, you know, to see, uh, you know, if anything else comes of it uh, for him. Mm-hmm. What other books or authors would you recommend on this subject? And I think we've already touched on a few titles, Nomadland. Um, sheesh. I mean, we could go clear back to Hillbilly Elegy as far as books that, you know, like he was trying to f- figure out what happened in 2016 and the polarization in our mm-hmm. country. And many people have talked about Hillbilly Elegy as being uh, something to kind of look into to see if if it helps explain how we got as divided as we are now. Um, uh, a book that crossed my mind as I was reading uh, um, Cheapland, Colorado, was Flat Broke with Two Goats by Jennifer McGaha, <laughs> who uh, it's the story of her family and how things bottomed out when the 2008 recession hit and their house kind of went underwater and they had to figure out how to live and and you know took to the hills and and went back to a very back to the land kind of situation and mm-hmm. when she says flat broke with two goats that that was true sums <laughs> it up magnificently uh but it's a great uh, adventure uh story i would say and i i i also 
uh, wrote down Rough Beauty by our local author, Karen Alvin, and might uh-huh. be another title to explore, uh, covering some similar threads that we've mm-hmm. touched on here that Ted Conover does. Um, any others you can think of? I uh, thought about Educated by Tara Westover. Oh, yeah. Um, because she's in a very religious family that's mm-hmm. off the grid in mm-hmm. Idaho. Um, they're very fundamentalist, I believe. Sound a bit like the Grubers, maybe, the <laughs> first family that took Ted in and let them let him uh, live in a trailer yeah, on their Yeah, but they're, they're fiercely self-sufficient because mm-hmm. they don't believe in any government services or hospitals. So, mm-hmm. like, the family has it's a different. car crash and... You know, people are injured and the dad won't take them to get, you know, medical attention Mm -hmm. um, because the beliefs are so strongly embedded. And the mother does like herbal medicine. And Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so uh, but, you know, just that is if you want a perspective from somebody that, you know, grows up in Mm -hmm. that family, in that environment and on that kind of land, Mm -hmm. um, check that one out. Good suggestion. (laughs) Yeah. Well, thanks, Jenna and Josie, for a lively and thoughtful discussion of Ted Conover's Cheap Land, Colorado. For our next episode, we're diving into Charlotte McConaughey's novel, Once There Were Wolves. Indy Flynn arrives in Scotland with her twin sister, Aggie, to lead a team of biologists tasked with reintroducing 14 gray wolves into the remote highlands. She hopes to heal not only the dying landscape, but Aggie, too, unmade by the terrible secrets that drove the sisters out of Alaska. Inti is not the woman she once was either, changed by the harm she's witnessed, inflicted by humans on both the wild and one another. Yet, as the wolves surprise everyone by thriving, Inti begins to let her guard down, even opening herself up to the possibility of love. But when a farmer is found dead, Inti knows where the town will lay blame. Unable to accept that her wolves could be responsible, Inti makes a reckless decision to protect them. But if the wolves didn't make the kill, then who did? And what will Inti do when the man she is falling for seems to be the main suspect? Once There Were Wolves is available in regular and large print formats from the Longmont Library, as well as ebook and e-audiobook formats from the Front Range downloadable library. So choose your favorite format, read or listen to the book, and join the conversation. We'd love to hear from you. See our podcast notes for details on how to share your comments and questions with us. And thanks for listening to Book Chatter, the book club for busy people.